Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm Ed Thornton, assistant editor. I'm joined this week on a very sunny day in Clissold Park in North London by Emily Rhodes, the writer and journalist and founder of Emily's Walking Book Club. She wrote a piece for the 9th of June edition of the Church Times about her book club discussing Ronald Bly's Aikenfield. Emily, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Hi, Ed. It's very nice to be here on this sunny walk with you in the park. Thank you. Can you start by telling us a bit about this walking book club? Where, where did the idea come from? Yeah, of course. So um, I used to be a bookseller and I ran a little bookshop right next to Hampstead Heath. And just as I always liked um, going for walks on Hampstead Heath and walking as something to do, I noticed that a lot of our customers in the bookshop would often come in sort of straight off the heath. And I just had this thought, you know, maybe there's some way of bringing the books onto the heath. Um, maybe instead of your normal book club where you sit around in a pub or someone's living room, you could have a sort of a walk and talk on Hampstead Heath and we could guide our conversation around landmarks and landscape. And um, it, it was one of those kind of pie-in-the-sky ideas where I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we sort of stopped off at the mixed bathing pond and then sort of changed tack <laughs> and climbed up Parliament Hill? And, um, and it just worked incredibly well. And there's something about, um, well, like we're chatting away now on our walk, I think when you're walking beside someone, it's much easier to talk to them than when you're sitting down, sort of often confronting them across the table or something. Mm. So, yeah, the conversation plays. Mm. And what sort of people come, and does it help newcomers? Does the walking help them feel a bit less nervous about joining in? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I've really noticed since the pandemic, there's been a bit of a rise in social anxiety. So some people do come incredibly shy and anxious and Maybe they've just moved to London and they don't know anyone. Some people said it's the first thing they've done. Um, other people, you know, may have got a bit nervous about leaving the house. But there's there's always a really big crowd and everyone's very friendly. And because you're very much encouraged to mix around and we have we have various stops on the walk, but after each stop, they try and get people to introduce themselves to someone new. So you're you're going to meet quite a few people in quite a relaxed setting. And yeah, pe- people really enjoy it. They, they say it really. It's a good setting for socially anxious people. That's great. Yeah. And how, how do you choose the books? Is there a sort of set criteria and are you the person who chooses them? Yeah, I am, I'm quite tyrannical about always <laughs> choosing them myself. Um, which way do you want me to go to say? Yeah. yeah. One of the things I noticed when I was a bookseller is that there was a huge amount telling you to read new books that were published. There was sort of publicists, marketing assistants, posters on the tube, but books often had quite a short shelf life. It was very unusual for a book to have been published, say, even two, three years ago and still be displayed in a bookshop. You know, obviously there are some big books like, I don't know, Sapiens or Zadie Smith's novel, or, you know, there's the big blockbusters, but mostly they just sort of disappear off and fade to nothing. So I really wanted Emily's Walking Book Club to be a way of finding these hidden gems on the shelf and one of the things I loved most about book selling was helping people find books they might not otherwise 
know about, so this is kind of an extension of that. So they're, they're never new books, and they're always really good books. And I think because they tend to be overlooked, um, that often means they fall into certain categories. So it's kind of unusual for them to be written by a dead white man. Right. <laughs> they're often by someone of colour, or they're by women, or they're in translation. So they're sort of in areas that we might not otherwise easily find and maybe need a little help um, navigating our way through to them. And then you've written about a recent choice was Akerfield. Oh, yeah. Um, and how did that um, come about? How did you yeah. feel about him? So, again, when I was working in the bookshop, there was this book, Akenfield, that people would often ask for. And it was a peculiar book because nobody ever really knew where to find it. Um, and often as a bookseller, I wouldn't know where to find it either. You know, would it be in the history section or in the travel section? Sometimes it would be Michelle's under fiction. Um, so it was this peculiar book that was obviously quite hard to define. And so I was always picking it up and looking at it and wondering what it actually was. And it felt um, incredibly unusual to me in the way that it is this work on oral history that was kind of unlike anything else I'd ever read. So perhaps that's its kind of unique selling point or whatever, you know, just, just as often I find these books by women or by people of colour, this felt like a very unusual form, the, the oral history side of it. Mm. You, you, you write in your piece about, about this book club walk, our conversations inspire more and more questions. I just wondered... Is that always the case with books, or was there particularly rich material, rich material oh, okay. discussion? I mean, it was, it was undoubtedly particularly rich material discussion. I think, um, I think, well, first of all, it took everyone quite a while to get their head around the idea of what this book actually is. Just like I was saying in the bookshop, how we never knew where to put it. Um, when you read it, you, it, you know, because often it reads a bit like the story, the the so, so, for those who don't know, Aikenfield is, um, Ronald Blythe wrote it in the late 60s, and he got on his bicycle with a tape recorder and went around this village and just recorded what everyone said. So the state's about 50 people who lived in the village. So you get everything from, you know, the blacksmith to the school teacher to the horsemen to the church bell ringers to the, um, survivors of war. And they are telling their stories. So there's very much a feeling of storytelling. Um, there's also this feeling of um, social history. There's a feeling of a sort of almost like travel writing in, in his descriptions of, of place. So there are a lot of questions about, you know, so how, how did he actually do this? Like, what, what were the questions he asked people? What, um, <laughs> what, what did he edit? Also, when you read it, you very much hear their voices. You, it, he gets that intonation and the, the way they speak. It's like, well, how, how did he get that? Did he cut out their sort of ums and uhs? Or did he... How, so there's a, there's a lot of questions about the process, which is quite unusual in, in our discussions. Mm. But then moving on from that, what really struck me was how, although this was an incredibly specific book in that it, is very much of this Suffolk village in the late 60s and these these individual lives there. Everyone, pretty much, on the book club, completely connected with this book. And these stories that 
you know, should have felt quite anathema to modern life, mm. there was something very universal in it. And I think that brought us into, you know, slightly bigger questions about, you know, <laughs> the meaning of life <laughs> or, or um, you know, the, the, our treatment of the past, our relationship with um, where we've come from and, and the land and our families. Yeah, you know, these these big ideas of grief and war and and so much. Um, so yeah, so there was it was an incredibly rich discussion. I believe you shared it with the group the, the Church Times obituary of Ronald Blythe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, did did people uh, engage with his life? What did they make of? Yeah, this they person? were absolutely fascinated by him. I think some of them had already heard of him and, and knew of him and his book Next to Nature, which was um, a collection of his columns for the yeah. Church Times. So that that had just come out and people were, you know, had read his obituary already and, yeah. and were interested to learn more about him. I think the fact that he was so old and was almost this connection to this slightly lost world that felt quite um, seductive and interesting, you know, the, the Nashes and um, this quite sort of alternative Suffolk scene. I think everyone was quite intrigued by that. But also by him as obviously this very gentle, wise man who, well, what came across really well in the book was that he was an extraordinary listener. And so perhaps, you know, he was a great observer, but also a listener and, and the sort of wisdom that comes with that. In your piece, you write about people falling into step alongside one another and finding common ground by the mm. vibe of the landscape on, on the heath or the book. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... To, to some of our sort of readers and listeners in the church, this would speak quite strongly of the experience of pilgrimage. Mm. Um, an important part of, important part of pilgrimage is the way um, you know, a raggedy bunch of individuals become a community through the process mm. of walking mm. and reflecting together. I, I just wondered if this is something you recognise in, in your experience, perhaps not using the same language, but is that, is that an experience you Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So we now have 1,500 members of the book oh. group. Um, I mean, they don't all show up at once. So, so, yeah. so I think the biggest group we've had has been about 65 people on the right. heath. So it's quite a, a sizable group. And London, of course, is a very diverse place. Um, and actually people travel from, I unbelievably people travel from all over the world to come. So people sometimes fly over from Tel Aviv or, really? or America. Yeah. You sort of time their holidays. But, um, right. but sorry, the point I was getting at is that they are... You know, of all backgrounds, and the book is very much open to all. It's the the fee is a donation. It's it's really to try and get people of all ages, of all backgrounds. It doesn't matter where you've come from. The point is that you're all here together. And in fact, it was, it was slightly inspired by um. I noticed. I mean, this is a, a bit of a stereotype. But I noticed very much that men would often chat to each other about football. You know, going to the shops or whatever, you could just sort of strike up a conversation with anyone about football. Yeah. And I felt that, um, you know, I'm quite new to football since my kids were first playing it. I, I, I was always quite left out of those conversations. But I, I sort of really wished the books could be that kind of common ground, that they could be something that, you know, you didn't have to directly talk to someone about you know, how has your week been, yeah. like, what, what do you do, for, you know, like, I hate it, and sometimes, you know, what do you do? But this was just this other thing, this, as you say, this common ground, that um, people come together talking about that, and I think, yeah, as you mentioned, the common ground is both the book, 
but also the fact that you're doing these walks together. So you have this like double common ground. And I think sometimes when you read a book, the actual reading process is incredibly solitary. And that can be very intense and immersive. And if it's a really good book as well, it can be, it can make you cry, it can make you feel all sorts of strong things. But when that experience is then followed up by a communal experience of talking through those responses together, um, especially on a walk where it's sort of easier to talk, I think it's an incredibly powerful mechanism, really. And I think people have formed these wonderful friendships and, yeah, feel very much part of the community, which is wonderful in, in this world that is, you know, quite fragmented and lonely. Yes. And, um, and actually, one, one of the things in the book that I noticed, um, which I was really surprised by, um, I say this having grown up in London, I had always thought of cities as being you know, a lonely place and the countryside and villages being very kind of community focused, which is partly why I wanted the book club in London. However, in Aikenfield, there is this, one of the people he interviews is a Samaritan. And she mentions the incredibly high suicide rate in, in the rural setting, much higher than in Ipswich. And there is this feeling that you know, this book was written just at this time of real change in the agricultural world. You know, machines were coming, chemicals were coming. It was all changing. Everything changed. There's a lot in the book about this tug between nostalgia for the past and a time where everyone would you know, gather in the hay together and go singing and stand around outside and chat, and the present where everyone's getting in their cars and driving off and watching TV alone at home. And it, it does feel like there is perhaps this great loneliness and isolation in the village that I wasn't expecting to find. Um, but anyway, it's very nice that somehow in talking about this book, we could do it in quite a communal way. And I'm right in thinking you're quite an advocate of, of printed books. And with this, I've got the e- e-readers now and things. But you, I mean, do you think there's something different about reading a printed book? And does that, we're talking about the advance of technology and... Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I... We do so much on screens in our life, right? And um, I, I feel like I, I just literally can't take in, I don't lose myself in something that's printed on my screen. As, well, sorry, it's not even printed on my screen. It's like written, flashing up on my yeah. screen as opposed to something that I have. I mean, I love personally making books my own by, you know, scribbling in the margins, like folding over little pages, mm-hmm. that feeling that it's your copy and that then when you put it on your shelf, Every time you see it there, you think of the experience of reading it. But if you have an e-reader, you know, that book's never going on your shelf. You might never think of it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose sharing books is that you can lend copies to people more easily. Lend copies, yeah. Certain relational aspects of that, isn't there? Yeah, like absolutely. Or... Absolutely, in that magical moment where you find something, you know, someone's old train ticket or an old inscription, that, yeah. and you get this clue to this other life that... Um, this other person who'd read the book yeah. and, yeah, the, the other stories written written there. Sure. Perhaps just finally, I mean, we, we run the Church Times Book Club every month and um, we, we hope that some people meet either on, you know, online or in person. I mean, it's, it sounds like some might like to, particularly as now the weather's nice as well, but consider walking while they talk about their books. It, Great. It, it sounds like a different <laughs> experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, 
I would love that to happen and I would be so happy to give anyone some pointers if they wanted to start their own walking book club. Um, I would say one thing you need to do is find your route. So make sure it's not through a kind of urban setting. You find a park or find a bit of countryside. Otherwise, you risk getting run over when you're so busy talking about the book. <laughs> yeah. You know, whoops, there's the road. Um, so yeah, key point one. Um, work out your route. Find a few stops along it. Um, bring a snack. Yeah, I'd say just try and find a few discussion points ahead of the walk. So you know, maybe even just five points that you can tie in with five stops. Okay. And that gives you a bit of a way to set people off on um, on conversations as they walk. And where can people find you online? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the best thing to do is to look up um, Emily's Walking Book Club. So either just search that or if you go to the Substack, it's emilyswalkingbookclub.substack.com. And I should say that as well as having our walks, we also have monthly Zooms and discussion threads and a weekly newsletter. So there's it's really like a very global community. Um, so even if you can't make it to Hampstead Heath for the walk, you can still kind of read along with us. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. That was really nice. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.